So you might recognize the title of the message today, Guiding People Home. You ever heard that before? Let me guess, that is brand new to all of you today, right? Totally new, never heard that before. Now, we say it every single week. So much so that that phrase is embedded in the DNA of who we are as a church. I got a little history lesson after first service this morning on how that came to be. And guiding people home was the product of a number of people praying for a very long time for a very specific direction for our church to go. And it, and, and that was the result, was a phrasing of the greatest mission that Jesus has ever given us. And so you might know if you've been reading through your rooted book, and if you haven't, that's okay, because we're going to go over all this good stuff today, that this week we finished an entire week devoted to how to tell others about Jesus, and very specifically how to go about doing that, how to tell other people about Jesus. It's super, super important. Now, in the church world, I don't know, did anybody else like me grow up in church You know, you've been in the church your whole life. You've been around. Yeah, okay. So you speak a language that I like to call Christianese. Okay? You speak Christianese. You know what it means when I say words like testimony and share your faith. You know, to people that don't speak Christianese, you might say, hey, you know, I'd like to share my faith with you. And they'd be like, I have no idea what that means. You know, it's like, oh, wait, this guy's about to tell me about God. Oh, okay, okay, I get that. But today, we're going to talk about some ways that we can go about sharing our faith, telling our story, and telling other people about Jesus. So I want you to think for just a minute as we're getting stuff set up here. Have you ever tried sharing your faith with somebody. And what I mean by that is intentionally telling somebody specifically about the faith and the hope that you have in Jesus. Have you ever tried that? I hope you have. If not, that's all right, because there's going to be opportunities to do that. Have you ever tried it? Think about it for a minute. The second question is, have you ever had a really positive experience trying to share your faith? You know, things went really well. Maybe the message was well-received. Maybe you communicated it really well, and you just felt like, man, that really landed. That really hit home. That was great, okay? Now, have you ever had, on the flip side of that coin, an experience that didn't didn't really go so great? You know, maybe uh, you walked away from that one feeling, oh, I could have said that better. Oh, this, you know, this just didn't quite go the way that I would have hoped. Well, I want to share with you real quick just a story from my past where I kind of felt like I failed in trying to share my faith. You see, I had this friend, I had, I had this friend whose name, his name was Josh. And, and I thought Josh was just awesome. Josh was a fighter. Okay. From his earliest days, he was a fighter. Josh had an incredibly difficult childhood. Okay. Incredibly difficult. Saw things as a little kid. Nobody should ever see. Had to deal with incredible amounts of abuse and difficulty and hardship growing up. And this, this made him a fighter, both fit, figuratively and literally. Josh was a UFC fighter for a number of years, somewhere in like the lower league. I don't know how all that's structured, but I've seen footage of him in the ring. He's, he's, it's, it's amazing to see how powerful and how strong of a human being he was. I don't think I've ever met anybody in my life who was more physically powerful than Josh. Okay. He was a fighter. 
uh, also he could debate, right? That fighting spirit didn't end with, you know, getting in the ring. He would also verbally spar, but he had, I'll tell you what, guys, despite all of that stuff he went through, he was driven. He was a business owner. And honestly, the guy had a heart of gold. Like he really did have a compassion for people around a very, very unique, amazing person. But I got into a discussion with Josh one day and the subject of faith came up. And I remember being stoked. I was so excited. Finally, the subject was here and I got to tell Josh about Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I walked away from that conversation feeling like I had been verbally beaten up. Not because he was mean. He wasn't mean to me at all. It's just I realized having that conversation that I did not have the knowledge to adequately answer the objections that he brought up. Remember I told you he was a debater? You know, he was the first person I ever had a conversation with who didn't just let me say what I thought and then let it be that way. He would ask me questions. Well, how do you know there really is a God if we can't see him? How how can you love a God who would allow bad things to happen to good people? You know, yeah, you say he's provided all this stuff for you, but that's just coincidence. And I walked away from that conversation with the second kind of feeling, the kind of, man, that didn't go very well. I didn't respond to that. And I have (sighs) regretted that ever since because I wish I had walked in to that more prepared. Now, it did send me down a rabbit trail and it did cause me, I'm sorry, I keep messing with this mic, you guys. I'm going to try to rig this thing up a little better here. But it sent me down a rabbit trail that caused me to reevaluate my strategy. It caused me to take a second look at how in the future I was going to go about sharing my faith, which actually led me into an area of my life that I'm really, really passionate about these days. It's called apologetics. Perhaps you know about it. Sounds like the word apology, but what it really is, is a logical, methodical process for defending your faith with solid logical responses and even, even scientific evidence. It's amazing. I got into it. It's awesome. I just wanted to share this with you real quick. This is my favorite starting book. If you find yourself in the same position where you want to start looking at, you know, the world around you at logical arguments at seeing what God has done, This is a fantastic book. This is On Guard by William Lane Craig, which is kind of a starter's guide for learning how to defend your faith. What does he say? Defending your faith with reason and precision. And that's exactly what this book is. Sent me down into that rabbit trail because it is so important that we do share our faith and we know how we're doing. Now, I'm not going to harp on that stuff too much today because I think that there's an element to sharing your faith that even goes beyond simple, logical answers. That stuff is good. But what? But we'll talk about what I think Jesus really, really wants us, the, the approach that really is going to drive home the impact of what we have to say. Let's look really quickly at Matthew chapter 28. We're going to cover some, some basic ground right here because why bother? Why do we need to share our faith? Well, it's because Jesus said so, right? Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 19, Jesus is speaking and he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We call this what? What is this called? 
The Great Commission, absolutely, the Great Commission, the number one mission that Christ has given us is to go into the world and tell people what Jesus has done for us. It's to literally go and share and tell that good news. Now, my question is, how well do we know the good news? How well do we know the good news? The question is, do you know the truth better than they know the lies? I came to this realization talking to Josh is that I knew who Jesus was. I love Jesus. I could see what he'd done in my life. Nothing was going to change my mind. And yet, why couldn't I come back with better responses? Why couldn't I have more articulate responses to some of his questions? Well, it's because I didn't feel like I had the depth of knowledge needed to do it. How is your depth of knowledge? Just a question to ask yourself. We're going to look at uh, the, the memory verse from the week in our rooted book this week. It's a perfect verse to use to kick us off on this. First Peter chapter three, verse 15. Peter's writing these words to the churches in Northern Asia at the time, Asia Minor, excuse me, in Northern Asia Minor, where, who are under intense persecution. And then Peter comes along and says, hey, guess what? You guys are having a real hard time. You know what? You still have to share your faith. You are, there's no excuse. You are not exempt. It is so important. It is worth putting our lives on the line to spread the message of Jesus. And he writes these words to, this is a letter that was meant to be spread around multiple churches. And this is what he writes to them. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Now, and there's a ton of content to unpack here. Great statement from the Apostle Peter. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of break down this verse and we're going to see through it some tactics that we can utilize to share our faith and share our faith effectively and with enthusiasm. Okay, let's start this off. Christ must be first. Paul or Peter kicks his verse off, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. What does that mean for Christ to be Lord? What does that mean for Christ to be Lord? Lord, top, number one, a numero uno. Christ must be first. I love this quote from Stephen Covey, who wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This guy knows a thing or two about success and leadership. And he said this, the main thing, is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Do you know what we're really good at doing when we start projects and things like that, when we get deep into them? We lose sight of the main thing. We go off on tangents. You know, we we go in this direction. He says the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And folks, what is our main thing? Our main thing is Jesus Christ himself. And he must always stay at the forefront. He must always, in everything that we do, be first. That is our starting point. We start by putting Christ first and valuing him above all else. Jesus spelled this out, Matthew 22, 37, 38. You probably know this verse. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Unequivocally, we start by putting Jesus Christ first. We revere him. He is Lord. And this means if he is first, 
We give God our all. Give God your all. He deserves it all. He expects it all. And in order for us to really develop the relationship we want with him, he's got to have all of it. Now, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I used to love to listen to Michael Jackson. Anybody else? Huh? Any other MJ fans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shimon, right? Go in the kitchen now. Nobody's home. Turn it up. Crank it up. Dance like nobody's watching. I still listen to Michael Jackson. I love Michael Jackson. But when I was a kid, I had this tape set of his that was called History, which was kind of a, you know, it was a collection of songs from the beginning, like at the start with the Jackson 5 up through modern day, which at that time was like 1996. Okay, so it's been a little while, but I had this tape set and I always thought this was so cool because they called it History. But look what they did with the H, the I and the S. They're bigger. So all of a sudden it changes history and it makes it look like his story. His story. And I've just, I've always thought that was really cool. So when, and when I think of history and when I think of Jesus, I think of his story because God's story, he is the true history that is woven throughout all of time. God is ever present and always will be. And part of putting Christ first and part of having that knowledge to be able to share our faith is to be acclimated with his story. Now, this the, what we're going to go over next was in the book. I'm not going to harp on it for too long, but I think it's important to go ahead and cover it again as we move forward. So there's basically four main parts to his story. The first thing is the creation. God created Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, a perfect world filled with peace and perfect shalom. We've been talking about that term a lot, right? Shalom, perfect peace, perfect unity, perfect harmony. And then unfortunately, Man rebels from God and there is this terrible fall. There is this schism that is presented between God and man as man becomes separated from God. Thankfully, God had a solution. Thank God he had a solution. And that solution was what? Christ. He sent Christ and Christ bridged that gap between us and him. And now we come to our part, which is restoration. God restoring us and even going beyond restoring us. But the book would say, if you read those chapters, he makes us a partner in his restorative process. Now, I like the word partner. I like the word partner, but I think it's a little bit deeper than that. And I think some partner kind of makes me feel like, I don't know, like we're almost on the same level as God, but we're not. I like the way the Apostle Paul says it. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We are God's ambassadors. We are God's representatives. We are God's diplomats, even. Think about a diplomat for a second. You know, what does a diplomat do? Starts in one country, goes to another country, and is both the mouthpiece for that country, but is also a representative. Because what is a person going to do that comes into contact with a diplomat? If you met a person representing another country and they were not the nicest person in the world, what would you think about every single person that they represent? You have this nat- we have this natural tendency to project upon them or project upon the people that are represented what our perception of the representative was. Does that make sense? And guess what? We are God's representatives. 
<sighs> a little bit of pressure there. Do you really, I mean, I got to ask myself, do I really want people to think of God what they think about me as God's representative? It's why we're called on to live holy lives in front of him and er, before him and that he is there to help us with that. But it's very, very serious. We are God's ambassadors. We are God's message carriers, okay? Christ must be first. He must be first because he has given us a message and a mission. Second thing we see when we look at this verse that Peter writes is always be prepared, always be prepared to give an answer. Now, question for you. What do you think of when you think of somebody who's prepared, somebody who's very well prepared for something? You might think of uh, maybe a soldier. I think of soldiers. You might think of a prepper. Maybe you're a prepper with a basement full of canned goods and a couple shotguns mounted on the wall waiting for the apocalypse. You know, if it goes down, you're ready. You know what I mean? You might think of something like that. Uh, the first thing that popped into my head when I, when I was considering this question was these guys. These were the first guys that I thought of. It was firefighters, right? These guys are prepared to go at a moment's notice. I remember going to doing a tour of a firehouse once and just being completely blown away at the efficiency that these guys had in preparation. I remember seeing the uniforms on the floor with the boots, you know, so they literally just step right in there, pull that thing up, zip that thing up, grab the pack, boom, they're out the door. I think the, I, I don't know if it's the fastest on record. I did a little bit of research because I was curious, how quickly do these guys have to get ready to go? And it kind of varies by district, you know, but it's somewhere between like 90 to 120 seconds. And that's like, if you're dead asleep in your bunk, you have 90 seconds to get out of your bunk, get dressed, be in the truck and on your way. It's, it's, in, it's insane to me. And there was a, um, a competition at some point, I was reading about it in an article the other day where they, they had a bunch of different crews competing to see who could go the fastest. And one of them went from bunk to truck in 43 seconds. Can you even imagine that? 43 seconds. So that right there, that's preparedness to me, right? Ready to go. Perfect system. Ready to respond. It's just awesome. Now, you might think, oh, but damn. I, I can't be ready that quick. I have no idea how. That's okay, because I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you how every single one of us can have that same bit of preparedness. If you remember from days three and four, what did it focus on? Focused on your story. Okay? It focused on your story. And we're going to talk about your story, because that is the most effective tool that you have. See, Jesus taught with stories, didn't he? Jesus taught with stories all the time. We called them parables. He would tell these little stories to illustrate very specific points. And why did Jesus teach with stories? It's because stories stick. We remember stories. We care about stories. I love stories. And there are stories that have been just major parts of my life as long as I can remember. I decided to pick three. I decided to just pick three right off the top of my head. What were the first three stories I could think of that were the most impactful in my life? A number one is Chronicles of Narnia, okay? My favorite story series in the world. Love the Chronicles of Narnia. When I was a kid, Peter Pan. I probably read this book four or five times as a kid. I love the book Peter Pan. And then as I got a little older, I got interested in Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. And I've read all of those multiple times. And the funny thing about good stories is when they impact you, they don't leave. 
stories don't leave. I've found myself in situations throughout my life where I will remember what, you know, I, I, I might be dealing with a situation where I'm feeling a little greedy. And I'll remember how in the voyage of the Dawn Treader, Eustace was turned into a dragon for his greed. And there was this lesson in there about self-control. You know, those sorts of things, they've left an impact. Your story can do the same thing. And guess what? You have a story. Even if you don't think you have a story, you have a story. God has done something in your life that is amazing. We get this perfect model of what telling the story looks like in Acts 26. Okay, And we're not going to read the whole thing, but basically in Acts 26, this is where Paul is called before King Agrippa. Okay, And he gets to speak freely and he lays out his story before the king. He lays it out in a very masterful way. And here is what we kind of take away from that, is that in telling your story, and this is also in your book, this is organized in your book, okay? So you can see this. There's basically three parts. There's basically three parts. Maybe you already know this. Maybe this is new to you. I think that this is great. This empowers us to give us a tool. Basically, you have the time before you met Christ. Think about that. Think about who were you? How did you think? How did you feel? What were the things that you did? What was, what was it like being in your skin before you met Jesus? The second part is the commitment. This is the part where you both heard about Jesus, received the message, and then decided to follow him. Okay, this is the commitment or sometimes in that Christianese we were talking about, we call it the conversion right? Okay. This is the actual coming to Christ. And then the last part of your story is the after. What is the transformation that he's brought about in your life since meeting him? What does that transformation look like? And what do you look like now? Those are the three components to your story. And I encourage each and every one of us, you know, think about this, write this down, meditate on this, because the thing is, your story is your story. Your story is your story. Nobody can take away from your story. This is about what God has done for you, your experience. You see, stories are kind of like snowflakes, like my analogy here. I like this. Stories are kind of like snowflakes and not like in the new sort of, uh, I don't know, slanderous kind of way that we use the word snowflake, but like a physical, actual, real snowflake. Think about snowflakes for a second. Every single one of them is different. Every single one of them is unique and beautiful. And what, and what happens when they start to add up? You get this big, huge effect that can be built with and can take shape. Okay, our stories are like snowflakes and the combined power of the stories of those that have followed Christ, who have come to Christ is an unstoppable force. And God has been using it for years and years and years. Now, I want to add before we move on, I want to add just a quick caveat to these stories. All right. We talked about how your story is before conversion or commitment and then after. I just want to say real quick, when I was, when I was a young, when I was much younger, when I was in high school, I remember going to these youth conferences, 
Okay, I remember going to these youth, these teen conferences. It was great. We had a lot of fun. Go with the youth group. Everybody piles into the van. By the time you get out of the van, it smells terrible. Everybody's gasping for air. You go on in there. I've seen audio adrenaline more times than I can count. It was awesome. We had a great time. But the speakers at these conferences were all very, very similar. Pretty much every single one of them that ever got up there was always, you know, yeah, I was, you know, down in the dumps. I'd hit rock bottom. Things were terrible. I was into all these bad things and drugs and stuff. And then I found Jesus and he turned my life around and now everything's great. And that's awesome, guys. Praise God for the work that he does in in people's lives and that he was able to do that for this person. That's awesome. But for me, part of the reason why I had you raise your hand to see if you were a church kid growing up is that I started to have this sensation that I did not have a story, that I had nothing to share because I'd never been in those types of situations. I talked to somebody after first service that came up and said, that's the first time someone has ever said something like that. Because oftentimes we do, we feel like our stories are kind of null and void. Not true. Not true. You do not have to go through the depths to be elevated to the greatest heights with Jesus. And every, everybody's story matters. And I tell you what, I have been inspired so much by people that I've met over the years who have lived consistent, faithful unchanging lives of devotion before God. Everybody, everybody's story matters and is valuable and is beautiful. Your story matters. Now, the last thing as we kind of start to wrap up this morning is when you tell your story, present it in love. Peter writes, but do this with gentleness and respect. Be kind. Show love in telling your story. When we, when we share Christ, this isn't about trying to win an argument or a debate. Okay? This is not so that we can feel like we're right. This needs to come from a place of love. I wrote down this phrase, and I thought this was incredibly clever of myself. I wrote down, no schadenfreude evangelism. We don't want, you know what schadenfreude is? Taking joy in the suffering of others. We don't want to use our testimony or our witness or sharing our faith as a weapon to prove to other people that we're right and they're wrong. We don't want to do that. It's about presenting the restorative opportunity through Christ with love. This is what Christ did. And so sometimes we can ask ourselves, well, how do we create opportunities? And I have to speak to this briefly because we live in a society. It's so nuts, everybody. We have all of these social media tools. We have so many ways to communicate. And yet we are the most socially disconnected culture in the history of the world. People now have fewer relationships than they've ever had in history. Makes it kind of hard to share your faith if you don't know anybody or interact with anybody. And I'm not saying we don't know anybody, but we have fewer relationships. So there's basically two things that we, I think, need to focus on as followers of Christ, okay? First thing is just those relationships themselves. There were some great examples in the book. Jesus sets this example for us with people like Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, people who he slowed down for, took time to talk to, got to know, and then through that was able to meet them where they were and share with them 
the truth. You see, Jesus cared about people, and so should we. We need to care about people enough to be intentional enough to go and meet them where they are. Okay? The second thing that we see in the example of Jesus is his service to others. Let's look at what he did in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. Why did he do that? Have you ever thought about that? Why did, why did Jesus heal people? Why do we get account after account of Jesus going into towns, traveling on his ministry journeys, and starting with meeting people's physical needs? You know why? It's because Jesus knew people. And he knew that people needed to see how much he cared. There's this really old quote that I love that says this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this is so true. Folks, if we want to spread the gospel, if we really want to share our faith, and if we really want to guide people home, we need to serve. We need to serve people directly. See, Jesus served. Jesus is the model. And we should too. Jesus served people. And so should we. Now, I want us to recognize that we can't actually save anyone, okay? Let's clear the air with that right now. It is not even our responsibility to do the saving. The Spirit does that. That is in the hands of God, okay, to actually do the saving of a person. You cannot argue somebody into heaven. You may have the greatest knowledge and arguments. You cannot force someone to believe what you believe. You see, our responsibility is to guide people home, not drag them there. Okay? We cannot even do it. It is not in our power to force someone to accept the truth, but it is our responsibility to guide and to pray and to be present. That person that you've been praying for, that person whom you've told your story, that person whom you love and want to come to Christ so badly, they have to choose to make the journey. Okay? It's not on us to do the saving. But, but, if we put Christ first, if we spread the message in love, and if we're always ready, with that message of love to give, God is going to do amazing things through that. So we're going to say it now and we're going to say it again a little bit later because this mission that we've been given, like I said, is built into the DNA of who we are as a church. And here at FCC, we say it a little bit like this. The church will now be leaving the building too. Absolutely. That's our mission. Let's not forget it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your words and we thank you for your example. Lord, I would just pray right now that as we consider what it means to guide people home, that we would have a confidence in you knowing that it is your power through whom this transformation comes. God, I would just pray that we would understand that all of our stories, all of our experiences and what you have done in each and every one of our lives, God, I just pray that you would drive home that they have value, that all our stories are important important and 
and um, influential on those around us. God, I pray too that you would just give us a heart for the lost. I would just pray that you would fill us up with a desire to want to share our story and want to begin this process of guiding people home to you. God, we're just so thankful that we know you and that you've called us together. May you just really help us to understand the necessity and uh, just thank you for all that you've done in our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Y'all go ahead and stand with me right now. As I switch gears and switch cables. It's always fun getting to do this. But you know what? It's such a serious thing because Jesus, this is a mission directly from him. This is a mission that directly comes from him specifically. And so if if it was important enough for him to give us the Great Commission, you better believe it's important that we try to follow it. Right now, I want to give you the opportunity, if you have a decision to make this morning, if you're ready to start that journey home, man, now's the time to do it. If you want to come forward during this time, we always want to present the opportunity. We're going to sing a song of worship. And if you have a decision to make this morning, come on down front. We'd love to see you. Let's go ahead and sing.